You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Amen. 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 Oh, someone left me a note. That's really nice. No. The reason for that, I think, was because uh, I was just in Toronto West this morning, and I was preaching there, and we had some child dedications, and Jason, uh, Pastor Jason, they had their youngest child, Silas, dedicated. So Jason asked me to come and do that because it's hard to dedicate your own child, you know? Um, and so I was in Toronto West. I just want to encourage you. Uh, wow. Like, I was blessed to be there. The place was packed. Um, God's at work. And just to, just to encourage you again, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And as we plant these churches, uh, they are thriving. Um, Toronto West is thriving. And so able to preach there. And that was exciting. And then get in my car and fly back here. And I made it in time. So I'm thankful for that as well uh, to be here. The other thing I want to encourage you with, um, you heard in the announcements this Thanksgiving dinner we're having next weekend. It's a big deal for us as a church, and there's still some room available to that. There's always each year some people are tentative. Well, is it for me or is it for someone else? Listen, if you're here and you don't have family around directly, like direct family, come come be a part of this. If you know some people who could be blessed by that, if you're looking to get connected to our church, if you've been to our church for a long time and just want to come and have a great, it's a great meal and hang out together, um, myself, my wife, and our circus will all be there. And uh, I think like um, the pilgrims usually show up every year, you know, and uh, uh, a lot Live turkey, what I mean by that is there'll be a turkey and, you know, a person dressed up as a turkey, he's alive. Anyway, so they'll be there too, and it's just genuinely a great time. So if that's you right now, please don't hesitate. Please don't hesitate. We want every spot to be filled, and I love a time where we get to walk around, have great food, and be together, and laugh, and just enjoy um, God's grace amongst each other, all right? So I encourage you that, and I'm hoping that just be uh, a wonderful time next weekend together. All right, why don't you grab a Bible and open that up to Proverbs uh, chapter 6 as we continue in our series, The Worth of Wisdom. We're learning in this series that there is really few things more valuable than wisdom itself. Wisdom is more valuable than gold. And the Bible's telling us over and over again, and we're seeking to believe that and live by that as well. So turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 6. And just before we get into that, um, I want to make you aware that in 2010, there was a survey taken and a project initiated um, to discover a, a very fascinating fact. There was a survey taken uh, to find out which country was the laziest nation on earth. Okay, So I'm happy to report to you that Canada uh, was not first, but I'm sad to report to you that Canada was second. Okay. <laughs> So there were 24 developed countries that were surveyed in categories such as daily calorie intake, um, TV viewing habits, percentage of the population that is uh, active and exercise, and then total overall internet usage. So of the four categories, uh, our wonderful neighbors to the south of us took uh, first in uh, calorie intake and also in obsessive TV watching. However, Canada apparently leads the way in internet usage um, in the world. So that's interesting. Canada also ranks overall as the second laziest nation on earth. Again, congratulations, all right? Congratulations. So um, in light of that, and North America really being the laziest continent for sure um, on the planet, according to the survey, um, some of the things you find out is that a continent that's lazy produces uh, certain fruit. So we've got some pictures to show you of our fruit of laziness. Here's the first one on the screen right there, all right? So now I know as we show these pictures, there's an exception to every rule. I mean, maybe she hurt her knee or something like that, but let's just take it for what it is. That's pathetic, all right? All right? Let's just take it for what it is. And here's uh, another example of laziness. This one cracks me up, man. Like, come on, dude. Come on. It's called this, you know? Like, put it on your knee or your belly. I don't know. Do something. But that, that, is, just, that is just wrong. Um, all right. Here's another one here. Uh, this guy, I mean, maybe he worked hard all night, I don't know, but you know, I'm sure there's another place you could have chosen to, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, just get up, get up. Anyways, here's another one uh, here, so this, this, is, this is probably my favorite, I mean, again, take it for face value, that, that's pathetic, alright, alright? As someone said, that's using twice as much gas as you need to, alright? So, 
Um, eh, I don't even know what to say about that one. All right, here's, a, here's another one. Um, this, is, this, is, this is troubling. This is a sign of our society. Is it not? Is it not? There's where you put your card back. And look at that. Look at that. That's so just, it's so wrong. It's so, it's so wrong. Conviction fills the room right now. And then here's, uh, I think here's the, this is my favorite one, all right? Yeah, this is my favorite one. So, I mean, like, come on, people, right? Give me a break. A doorstop in the wrapper. I mean, oh. That's, it's just, it's just wrong. Anyways, and you know, um, it's kind of fun to look at these. And we're going to see today is the Bible is going to have some fun in a way as well. The Bible has some examples of ladies that day. We're going to see that is, is just, it's sarcastic. It's bordering on, well, it is ridiculous, but it's Bible's making a point. Like the Bible's written by the Holy Spirit of God to tell us a point. And apparently our sermon title today is more appropriate and needed maybe than we thought. And our sermon title today is this, Wisdom for the Lazy. Wisdom for the lazy. Our main purpose today, we find out this, is that laziness is not just a physical problem. Here's really the most important part. Laziness, ultimately, is a spiritual problem. Laziness, at its fundamental roots, is an issue of the heart. So that being true, it's not surprising then that the Bible has a lot to say about laziness. Particularly in the book of Proverbs. Now let's be honest with ourselves Physical laziness is killing us, and spiritual laziness is also killing us as well. Again, physically and spiritually, we are being killed by laziness. So today, the Bible is trying to get our attention and say, hey, loved ones, listen, it's time to wake up and work. It's time to wake up and get to work. Listen, why we still have time. That's the part that's so important, that this life is so brief, and, and the urgency should be so great, that we have, listen, we have, we have one life to live. And what are we doing with this one opportunity that God has given us? And sometimes we take for granted we'll live several more decades. Who says? God says. We don't know. It could be today. It could be decades. Yes, it could be uh, next week. The point is, with the chance that we have, with the talents, with the opportunity, biblically in the parable of the talents we've been given, what are we doing with that? So a verse to kind of sum this up as far as wisdom and opportunity and time and urgency and waking up is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's put this verse up. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, how we live. Walking is going through this life, not as unwise, notice, but as wise. Walk as those who are wise. What does that mean? Making the best use of the time. The wise understand, man, I got to take advantage of what I've been given. Why? Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Because the gospel's too important. Because the glory of Jesus Christ, it's just, it's going to come, come so fast. And it's going to hit us. And then all of a sudden we're like, what have I done with what God has given to me? Therefore, do not be foolish. Again, this is just a summary of Proverbs, really. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And interestingly, this morning, my, my personal reading was in Ephesians 5, just from the reading plan that I'm on. And I get to this, and of course, the very next verse is, Therefore, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And it goes on to say about all the amazing things God wants to do by addressing one another in Psalms and singing with all our hearts and giving thanks for all things and just submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, wisdom leads to understanding opportunity, leads to knowing God's will, leads to saying, I need God's Spirit to lead me in this, that I would take advantage of the opportunity. And again, that is before me. The wise understand this. There is no time to be lazy. So one of the bottom lines for today, loved ones, is this. You know you're growing in wisdom when you despise laziness. The wise are not okay with laziness. The wise understand the value of hard work. The wise understand I cannot neglect. And today's not just about the workplace. Today is about neglect of marriage, neglect of my soul before God, neglect of my physical health. All of these things are factors in a heart that is lazy. And so this is a word for us today. I mean, absolutely, this is a word, practical but spiritual at the same point. So I need to, I need to ask the Lord to work. And one of the things I... You know, I wish I could just come up and change my own heart and change your heart. I, I can't do that. I, I, I can't do anything. But the Lord can. And so we ask him that he would. And the people that are here right now, and God knows, and each individual, some of us have been coasting our whole lives. Maybe today could be the day where that changes, man. Enough coasting, enough laziness. Let's get serious about what God has for us. Let me pray for that to happen right now. Father, in Jesus' name, coasting done. In Jesus' name, apathy destroyed. In Jesus' name, 
complacency no more. In Jesus' name, laziness seen for what it is. It's evil, God. It's sin. It is. We're going to see that today. No time to be a sluggard. The days are evil. I pray we make the most of the time, Lord, by pursuing wisdom, being filled by God's Spirit, and being transformed in you. Take your word, Lord. Apply it. Apply it powerfully. Apply it clearly to every individual. Oh, God, may you do so. For you, again, it's always, it's always for you. It must be for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. Wisdom for the lady, uh, for the for the lady, for the for the for the lazy. And Bible's open to Proverbs chapter six, uh, verse six. This is our. We're going to see three passages today, three chunks of scripture in Proverbs that deal with laziness or the sluggard. Uh, here's the first one. Proverbs six, verse six. Go to the ant, sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Notice, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Okay, I want to start here today. Here's our first point of wisdom for the lazy. Point number one is this, O lazy, learn from the ant. O lazy, learn from the ant. Again, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. A sluggard, of course, is a sluggish person, but someone who has a, uh, an uh, habitual habit of being lazy. So go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and uh, be wise. So notice right away here the exhortation to the lazy person, to the sluggard, and the principle in wisdom is this. Wisdom is always observing and learning through life. Wisdom is always looking to see what they can learn because they know they're never done learning in this way. And so in verse 6, as wisdom always seeks more wisdom, verse 6 is using God's creation as an opportunity to glean from the wisdom that God has for us through his creation. In the case of chapter 6, verse 6, it's a call to look at the ant, to observe the ways of the ant, to understand the value of hard work and the value of running away from laziness. Now, isn't this humbling? Human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. We alone are made in the image of God, and yet here, as God loves to humble his people, that they might see him more clearly, we, as God's pinnacle of creation, we are called now to look at a bug, at a at, at an insect to learn the ways of what it means to value um, hard work. I love when God does stuff like that. It's so amazing. So notice in verse 6, notice the word go, go sluggard. Notice the command consider sluggard and notice the phrase and then be wise. So really what's being said here, lazy one, lazy one, get off your tush. Lazy one, lazy one, get up and learn. Oh, lazy one, would you get some wisdom? Would you, would you once and for all wake up and get some wisdom so you don't waste your life? And notice the lessons that are here from the ant as it pertains to the sluggard. Three main lessons are here. Lesson number one is this to the lazy one. Listen, lazy one, take initiative. Lazy one, take initiative. Look at verse 7. So consider the ant, and then it says in verse 7, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So the point here is that the ant does not have a whipmaster standing over it. An ant is not punching time cards, and the ant uh, doesn't have a nagging parent trying to get them out of bed. Rather, the point and observation from creation as it relates to ants is ants take initiative because by their initiative, it allows them to survive. Ants inherently possess wisdom of hard work and initiative. That's the first lesson. Sluggard, learn from the ant, take initiative in life. Take initiative in working hard. Here's the second lesson. Be diligent is what the wise person says to the sluggard. Oh, sluggard, be diligent as the ant is. Verse 8, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So the sluggard's supposed to look to the ant, and the sluggard is supposed to observe the ant both looking ahead and planning ahead. Even when food in the summertime is plentiful and in abundance, the ant here, you notice, is gathering her food for the harvest. Now, the ant that's probably being referred to here, and it was very common in ancient Palestine, was the harvester ant. And the harvester ant, again, very, very common, and would literally take uh, a wheat or grain and store it in its nest. 
And so this is probably the ant that's being referred to. But notice she gathers her food and harvests. So the ant is working so hard to store up her food that it will last her all winter. <coughs> so that's amazing. This is the diligence um, of the ant. Now I specifically remember this past summer um, on my break sitting down on a chair and watching this ant um, carry this bug like four times the size of itself and watching it move from like a three meter span. And I was, I was honest, I was kind of enthralled by this. And I remember where I was, I remember what I was looking at and watching this ant go through. And I, I noticed the effort of the ant. I noticed the diligence of the ant. I noticed the perseverance of the ant. See, why would you notice that? Because I stuck my foot in the way and stuff. And the ant would find a way or put a piece of stick that would be like 10 times the size. And the ant was sold. It would climb up or around. It would find its way. It would stumble a bit, pick up its food again. And it would drag it all the way back on this. would be like 30 miles to us for this ant. And finds all the way back to the nest. And I was honestly looking at it and saying, that's incredible. And that's what is happening here within this text. We are to look and observe and gain wisdom that the ant takes initiative The ant is diligent. And the third lesson that Solomon's really uh, exhorting here to the sluggard is uh, a lazy one. Wake up and work. Wake up and work. So in verse 9, it's almost like Solomon loses his patience. And he's had enough and he's been telling the lessons of the ant. And then immediately in verse 9, he's like, how long will you lie there, old sluggard? It's almost like, again, he loses his patience and says, Lazy one, wake up, you sleepyhead. I mean, how long will you do this? How long will you go through life like this? How long will you sit there rotting away with no productivity on your life? When will you wake up? It's almost like he's saying, enough already. Enough lethargy, enough complacency, enough slothfulness. Do something with your life. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Notice verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. We'll come to that in a little bit. Now as you know, loved ones, when you hear words like this of like, get up lazy one and when will you start doing something with your life? It might seem like tough love or even harsh, but right now the wise in this room understand. Right now those filled with wisdom aren't arguing against what Solomon's saying right here because the wise understand the lessons from the ant. Here's what the wise agree that they want to do and who they want to be. Again, they want to take these lessons and the wise will take initiative. The wise will take initiative. The wise here ultimately are thankful for supervision. See, the ant doesn't need it. The wise are thankful for supervision in their lives. But listen, the wise though ultimately don't need it if it came down to it. For those who walk in wisdom they, and they take initiative, their productivity at work doesn't change when the boss is away. Why? Because they're serving the Lord. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. They're seeking to honor the Lord. They understand that they are, they are, they are working, again, ultimately for the glory of God. So if the boss is away, their productivity, again, will not be altered. These are the employees that are eager, ambitious, conscientious, These are the employees that understand and they take so seriously. They prayerfully approach their day. They plan. They are proactive. But again, I want to stress this to you. The wise take initiative not just in work. They take initiative in life. They take initiative with their health. They take initiative in their their relationships that are most important. And they certainly take initiative with their soul before God. They don't approach life in laziness and have no prayer and have no study and have no God in their life. The wise take initiative in all these areas of their lives. The wise take initiative. The wise are diligent. Of course they are. Flat out, the wise work hard. And listen, they seem to work smart. Now, wise people aren't seeking to become workaholics, but they want to give their best while they work. Now, one of the principles that my dad entrusted me with when I was a young man. And by the way, as I begin to share these principles of my dad, parents, I just want to encourage you, okay? So I was saying to Jill this week, you know, it's amazing when you're a kid and your dad says something to you and you're just like, yeah, dad, yeah, whatever, you know? And you really think, oh, whatever. But as you get older and you're going through life, you're like, oh, that was really good stuff, you know? And so parents, as you say to your kids and they're like, yeah, whatever, dad, listen, they're kind of listening. And as you get older, I'm now, as recently as this week, I'm now sharing the same principles my dad taught me to my sons and to my daughters. And so take that, kids, eh? It's so great. Because listen, what you're sharing with them they are listening to and I think it will hit home it might take 20 years but in the end the wisdom sets down and just like man my dad really knew what he was talking about one of the principles that my dad said to me is so simple but so important he always said Robbie work first play later work first play later do you know how good it feels to rest after you've worked so hard 
I hope you know what that feels like. It's so great. Rest feels so good after you've worked so hard. That's one of the reasons one of my favorite times of the week is Sunday afternoon. Because you pour your heart out over three services, you know, and give your all for the Lord in this way. And then you go down and just give me a bowl of soup and three hours and I cheer for my losing football team. But at least it's kind of time where, where I get to sit there and it's just, you just feel so good. You don't feel guilty. You're not feeling lazy. You just like feel like it's been earned in that way. It feels so good to work hard and then play hard or to, or to rest hard. But conversely, it feels awful when you're lying around doing nothing all the time and you know you don't deserve any of it. It feels awful. You know that, that feeling of it. You, just, you, you know you're being lazy, but your laziness contributes to more laziness, and you feel guilt and shame and conviction, and you're like, oh, what am I doing? And, and, but I just, you get up and work hard. Amazing how it fixes that. Because we were created to work hard. Remember, the opportunity to work from God was given to us pre-fall in Genesis. We're designed to work. We're created to work hard. And we feel good as we do that, as we seek to work first and, and play later. And this is what the wise do. They discipline themselves to think ahead like the ant, to plan ahead like the ant, and to prepare for fruitfulness like the ant. The wise understand the consequences of both action and inaction. They understand when, what will result from action, but also from inaction. And what does inaction in our lives do? Often it leads to great stress. You know, like procrastination, right? I mean, procrastination is... It's not good. It, 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 just, it just builds. One of the other principles my dad taught me when I was younger was, Robbie, and this took me a few years to understand this, Robbie, the greatest way to eliminate stress most often is to work hard. The greatest eliminator of stress in your life, especially if it comes to an assignment, a project, a presentation, something that's hanging over you, is to work hard at that and get that done. And it's incredible how the stress seems to go away. But what, what procrastination does, though, is like, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And you're thinking about it, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And you lie awake at night saying, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And just, oh, one more day and one more hour and one more thing, and you keep putting it off. But there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. And the longer you put it off, the more stress that builds up in your life, and you lose sleep, and you get uncomfortable, and you get irritable with family, and da 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 da. If you sit down and work hard and attack the stress through hard work, it's amazing how that really does help. That's just wisdom. That's just wisdom. Hard work is one of the great eliminators of the anxiety we carry within our lives. The wise take initiative. The wise are diligent. And, and of course, the wise will wake up. The wise will wake up. In verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? The wise understand. i got to wake up. Now, here's, here's one of the realities, too. And I say this in love today, but it's, I, I need to say it. There, there are people here today that are slothful, Lazy, sleepy people. And you know it. Like right now you know it. The Lord says to you, listen, while you have the opportunity to wake up, wake up and get to work. That's where you'll find satisfaction. That's where you'll know blessing. Wake, wake up and get to work for the things in the Lord. There are people here today, if you're honest, your bed is your altar, a TV is your idol, and overall laziness is your M.O., you got to change that before the Lord returns. You, you have to change that while you have a chance. You, you've been given one life. One life, again, wake up, wake up, wake up. Really, I mean, this is what grieves me. There, there, there are many men and women, but there are many young men who unless things change, they will stand before the Lord in judgment and have to give an account. Believers and non-believers have judgment in the sense of what, what have we done with what we've been given? And there will be young men that will stand before the Lord in judgment. The Holy One of God will stand before them. And the opportunity that they've been trusted with, they will hold up an accomplishment of video games and present that to the Lord. This is what my life was about. I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours pursuing a video game and seeking to do whatever. I mean, that, that, that is going to happen. I mean, just imagine that moment before the Holy Righteous One of God and say, what did you do with your life? I played video games. Really? Really? Like that, that is what you're going to present to the Lord? Like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, like, isn't it? Like, isn't it? To stand before God in this life of life and death. And, and millions are, are lost and dying without salvation in Jesus Christ. And we'll say, look God, look. I mean, just think about that. Get some wisdom. Get some, stop being foolish. We can go through the list. But the wise wake up 
It's tragic what's occurring in our society right now. Oh, lazy one, learn from the ant. Secondly, this. Oh, wise one, learn from the lazy. Oh, wise one, learn from the lazy. Turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Now, if there's ever a message to not be lazy in turning in Scripture, this is it, right? This is it. Proverbs 24, verse 30. Go, 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 go. 24, verse 30. A wise one, learn from the lazy. So here we have a wise sage walking through life and observing lessons from, again, what that he's taking in. Notice this. He walks by the field of a lazy person, a sluggard. Verse 30 of chapter 24. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. Okay, let's just stop right there for a second. Notice what's happening. Here's what wisdom does. Wisdom observes. Wisdom considers. And then wisdom gains instruction. That's so important. So in this context right now, wisdom learns from the success of others, but wisdom also learns from the failure of others. So that's what the Bible's doing right here. It's helping us to learn from the failures of others that we would say, I don't want to be like that. So some of us, if we were totally honest, we'd say, well, I like being lazy. I want to be lazy. I reproduce laziness in my life. Okay, so if you want to be lazy, here's what you must be clear on. Make sure you want the fruit of laziness as well. If you want to pursue laziness in your life spiritually and at work and with your health, make sure you understand the fruit of laziness because that's what the Bible is going to give us. Proverbs, I'll just read it for you. Proverbs 15 verse 19 says, the way of a sluggard is a hedge of thorns. The way of a sluggard is a hedge of thorns. What that's telling us is laziness. We think, oh, it's about my comfort and my ease and I'm doing so well and all these things, whatever. But the reality is, the Bible says, the way of a sluggard, actually, it's like you go, ah, what is that? And you're, you're all, ah, and it's all painful. You're, there's consequences for the slothfulness within our lives. It hurts. It's painful. It's not going to go well. And that's what the Bible starts to explain to us. Again, look at verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, NRSV calls a stupid man there, and the observations of laziness begins to relate to his field. Now his field would equal his livelihood. It would equal his life. Notice three things about the field of the sluggard. Number one, it was unkept. It was unkept. It says it was all overgrown with thorns. So the property of the sluggard, because he's so lazy, was a disaster. It was not cared for. It was not tended to. What do we learn here? Very, very important when it comes to laziness. Laziness suffers from neglect. One of the consequences of a lazy life, a sluggard's life, is that neglect is seen everywhere. Unkept house, unkept finances, unkept temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's an important point too though, okay? Workaholics, workaholics can be just as lazy as a sluggard in certain ways. They might be given themselves for their workplace, but the workaholic can use work as an excuse to be lazy in his or her marriage. The workaholic can use that as an excuse to say, I got no time to pray. I got no time for the Lord. You are neglecting your soul before God. Workaholics can use that excuse to say, I have no time to serve the Lord in church. I'm just not, I'm just so, work is everything. Listen, workaholics can be just as lazy as they neglect family and kids and they use the work as the excuse because ultimately that's their idol, it's about self and they're neglecting massive areas of their lives. Laziness ends up in neglect. Again, neglecting things like our marriages. Like husbands and wives, if we're not attending to the relationship of our spouse, Why? A lot of cases, we're just lazy. Can't be bothered. We want to serve self. I mean, you got to see it for what it is. Again, like a lack of prayer life, a lack of being in God's word. For the most part, laziness is the reason. We're just lazy. Like, that's what we got to be honest with God about. To say, and say, Lord, I, I confess my sin of slothfulness, of laziness. Because I've been given this one opportunity, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not using it. I'm not using it. I'm wasting my time in all these things that ultimately do not matter. And you may not like this either, but again, it's just, it's, gluttony is still a sin. I mean, sometimes we look at all these other sins and we hold these things up, but gluttony, for some reason, oh, it's totally fine now. 
It's not. I mean, and often gluttony and laziness go hand in hand. Lazy just in our approach to taking care of ourselves. We notice here that the field of the sluggard was unkept. We notice this, the field of the sluggard was unproductive. Notice it says, it says right there in verse 31 that the ground was covered with nettles or weeds. Now, if you know me at all, you know how much I hate weeds. And here's another example in the Bible where weeds basically are evil. Praise the Lord, that's so great. They are presented in a negative sin-filled light. Again, the man's field here, listen, is meant for bearing fruit, crops, and wealth. But instead, because of his laziness, it's bearing thorns, weeds, and death. What do we learn here? We learn this. Ready? Laziness bears bad fruit. Don't kid yourselves on this one. Laziness bears bad fruit. Matthew Henry equates in this verse, the the field equals our souls. Our souls equal the field. If we neglect our field, we let weeds come in. I've always appreciated so much A.W. Tozer's illustration of the hunger of wilderness. And essentially, it it blesses me so much because it's just so true. If you leave a field or a front yard or a backyard and you leave it to itself, the wilderness will take in. Or just take over. I mean, just it's incredible how the wilderness grows and grows, and we've all seen this in so many different places. You let a patch of grass or field by itself, and it will become, it will take over buildings. It will just, you won't even recognize it. In the Christian life, if you neglect your soul, if you neglect a pursuit of God, if you neglect confession of sin, if you neglect trying to passionately follow Christ in worship and prayer and study and growing with other believers, if you neglect it, there's no neutral in the Christian life. So either you're going forward or you're going backwards. If you suffer from laziness and the care for your soul, it's just a matter of time before the wilderness creeps in. It's only a matter of time before weeds start to grow. And what the wise person says here, the ground was covered with weeds. If we don't pursue the Lord and working hard by taking care of our souls and seeking him in this way, we can guarantee that weeds will creep in and steals our joy, steals our passion, steals our effectiveness, and steals our fruitfulness. Because if we don't care for us, then that's the place we're going to find ourselves in. Laziness results in being uncapped and also unproductive. And laziness also, this happens, is it's unreliable. So in verse 31, at the end of it, it says, and its stone wall was broken down. Now, from all appearances, laziness then cannot be depended upon. Why? If you can't take care of your own stone wall, how can you possibly take care of others? And so lazy people can't be depended upon. They are unreliable. They don't follow through with what they say they're going to do. You don't want to be that person. I pray you don't want to be that person. But then again, notice verse 32. Notice what happens here. There's observation, there's consideration, and then there's wisdom. So he says in verse 32, then I saw and considered it. So the wise sage is like, okay, so I'm looking at this. Hmm, I consider this, and now comes wisdom. And now the wisdom is gathered and formulated, and now here's the wisdom in verse 33. Here's what his end result is to this sluggard's life and field. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So here's what we're learning. Laziness, again, results in bad fruit. But specifically, we're seeing here, laziness 14 times in Proverbs is connected with poverty. Laziness and poverty together. So, so many verses speak to this. I want to give you four on the screen here within Proverbs that connect poverty and laziness together. Here's the first one from Proverbs uh, 13. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Now, this is interesting. Lazy people love to complain. They love to complain about what they don't have, but they're not willing to do anything about it. So they complain and whine and whine and complain. Notice they crave, they desire all these things, but they don't do anything about it. So they just become these miserable people who just whine, whine, and whine, and whine, but do nothing. They just sit there. Hard to have sympathy for people who crave and whine and are miserable, but they're not willing to do anything about it at all. But the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. It's just basic common sense wisdom, but we need to understand. Here's the second verse about this. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. And an idle person will suffer hunger. Notice the correlation with slothfulness and suffering. Don't kid yourselves right now. If you think you can live a slothful life and not suffer in some regard. The Bible's telling us that will happen. That will happen. There's consequences to laziness and it's never good. Here's the next verse. Proverbs 21. The desire of the sluggard kills him. Why? Because his hands refuse to labor. He just refuses to work. So he dies. That stinks. 
That's what happens with the sluggard. And here's the last one. Whatever, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits, our example today was video games. But it could be so many things. If you follow worthless pursuits, you'll have plenty of poverty, whether physically, whether economically, whether spiritually. The only way we have spiritual riches is in Jesus Christ. you got to see this. Laziness will not work out for us, loved ones. It will not work out. A wise one learned from the lazy. You don't want to be that person. You simply do not want to be that person. That will not go well. You want to value the blessing of working hard and not neglecting life as a whole. Remember, as we go through this, this isn't just about work at the workplace. This is neglect of marriage, neglect of relationships, neglect of church, neglect of prayer, neglect of our soul before the Lord. All these things contribute to these factors. Oh, wise one, learn from the lazy. And our third lesson is this then. Oh, sluggard, throw out the excuses. Oh, lazy one, learn from the end. Oh, wise one, learn from the lazy. Oh, sluggard, throw out the excuses. Okay, this is where the Bible is borderline ridiculous as far as sarcasm and humor. But I want us to see this because it's very helpful. Proverbs 26 now, verse 13. Proverbs 26, verse 13. Check this out. This is almost unbelievable, okay? Here are the excuses of the sluggard. Verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a line in the road. There's a line in the streets. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is fascinating here in Scripture. This becomes, again, humorous and ridiculous. God's word going through excuses of a sluggard. Let's put them on the screen here to my left and just identify how ridiculous these excuses are. But they happen in our days and in our lives. Excuse number one of the sluggard, according to this section of Scripture, is this. I can't work. I might be eaten by a lion. That's what it's saying right there. That verse kind of cracks me up. It's a classic, lazy, totally ridiculous excuse. But notice this, and and make sure you look into your life. Often, laziness will hide behind irrational fear. Laziness will hide itself behind irrational fear. A son, I need you to cut the lawn. I I can't see that squirrel dad. I think he might have rabies. I don't think I want to do that. I'm just like, just a little bit like, you know, son, can you walk the dog? I I might pull a muscle, dad. I'm just not really into that. Son, go walk the dog. Go walk the dog, would you? Get off your tush and walk the dog, all right? Go cut the lawn. Stop, stop making excuses. And we think about, I want to pick on young people today, I'm not really, but, but this Proverbs is written to a young man in, in its context. And I'm telling you, the excuses we get from teenagers, the excuses that are given from people who just haven't lived that long, but the excuses we all can give, they can be as ridiculous as, oh, I can't do that, I might be eaten by a lion. Really? Really? It's been about 500 years since that's ever happened. Oh, but I don't know, I mean, today might be the day, you know. Really? 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 Here's excuse number two. I can't work. I'm stuck to my bed. I am hinged to my bed. Now, verse 14 has been one of my favorite verses for a long time. It's my wake-up verse. My wake-up verse for a decade. So when I'm lying in bed and my temptation is to stay in bed, when I know I'm awake, I'm not sleeping anymore, and just, I just need to get up, I mean, verse 14 of chapter 26 starts rolling through my, uh, through my mind. As a door is on its hinges, so a sluggard is on his bed. Notice in verse 14, the sluggard moves. It's not very far. You see that? The sluggard's moving, and here's what the sluggard does. The sluggard does this. Like this, right? Just like a door on a hinge, right? Snooze, 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 right? Get up. No, no, get up. You know, snooze, snooze. And it's moving. The sluggard's moving, but not moving very much. Why, why, why? Because he or she is too comfortable. That is why. The sluggard is so comfortable. No, leave me alone. I want to see you more. Oh, yeah, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. Why? Get up, lazy one. Get up, lazy one. That's pathetic, you lying in bed over and over and over and over again. Now, be careful of this, too. Listen, in this verse, in this verse, okay, comfort is the idol of the sluggard. And be very careful. For most of us, the goals we have in our lives, if we're honest, are surrounded in more comfort, more ease. Think about it. The things you really want for your house, the new trinkets you want to have in your pocket, the car you want to drive, the luxury items you want to drive. If you think about it, most of our pursuits are surrounded in comfort and in ease. Be very, very careful, loved ones. The goals that you deem most valuable, you might actually be pursuing your greatest curses. The things you want most might actually end up being your greatest curse. 
The more comfort and ease we surround ourselves in, the more comfortable we become, and more spiritually lazy is often the end result. That's why God brings trials. That's why God brings suffering. That's why God brings difficulty to wake us from our slumber, to wake us from our drunken stupor, the Bible says to wake us back to reality of why we actually live. See how loving God is in that way? If he gave us everything we wanted, wow. That, that, that would be the worst thing God could ever do. The most unkind thing he could ever do is grant us all our desires. Because we don't even know what we really need or want. The sluggard here is hinged to their bed. Excuse number one, I can't work even by a line. Excuse number two, I'm stuck to my bed. Excuse number three of the sluggard, I'm too tired to eat. I'm too tired to eat. Verse 15, I mean, it is ridiculous, says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. I mean, this is the best example of supreme, pathetic laziness, okay? The sluggard is so lazy. The sluggard desires work so much. The sluggard is so pathetic in this area that the thought of physical exertion just exhausts him. To the point where, oh, hungry. And he, and, he, and he puts his hand in his dish to eat his food. And he's like, oh, forget it. I can't do it. Right? I mean, that's what the Bible's saying. I'm not, this is what the Bible's saying. He puts his hand in his dish. He's like, oh, oh, oh forget it. Just, and, doesn't, and, just, and just doesn't do it. And we look at that we're like, wow, so pathetic. Wow, what a, what a lazy son. Who is, who is that lazy to do that? Be very careful the next time you lie on your couch. And you've been sitting there watching TV or whatever it is incessantly for four or five hours at a time and laziness creeps in and the bowl of popcorn that's just out of reach. It's just out of reach. And you find yourself saying, honey, can you come here? Why? Can you help me get my popcorn? Really? Really? I mean, <laughs> careful, careful, careful because we do that. We do that. Watch out. Watch out for this stuff, man. Or you're, or you're sitting on the couch and you want to change the channel and the remote again is just far enough away. I saw this on a Simpsons episode um, before I was saved. So no emails about this, all right? And there, and there is Homer just, just reaching for the remote. And we can be as pathetic as that. Watch yourself if you get to these points where you're sitting there and you are like this sluggard in verse 15. You had your hand in the dish. The people who are too lazy to put their microwave dinner in the microwave. Watch out for that. Ah, oh, forget it. It's too hard to push buttons. Really? Really? You watch. Watch yourself i got to watch myself as we start to go through life and we form habits that flat out are pathetic. Why is it that we have to get the closest parking spot and we're unable to walk another 50 yards? Why? 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 Well, we deem ourselves important and we're just flat out lazy. Probably 50 yards could do you some good. Does me good. I mean, just, just think, think these things through as you go through life. Just, just think about the habits that are forming and then say, I don't, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. That's ridiculous. That's, that, that, that's what God's word's trying to help us with right now. Trying to help us with. Here's the last excuse of the sluggard. Um, I don't want to work because I'm the smartest person I know. I'm the smartest person. Look at, look at verse 16. Um, are the sluggards wiser in his own eyes than seven men? Now, seven men who can answer sensibly. Seven men is a term um, symbolic of never ending or many. So basically, you have 700 men could come up to the sluggard that are incredibly filled with wisdom, and the sluggard's like, I don't care what you say, I'm the smartest guy I know. I know what's right. You start telling what to do, man. I'm, I'm the one who's the boss of my life, and I'm not listening to anything that you say. Now, understand how much the book of Proverbs has to say about the person who will not listen. The fool does not receive instruction. The wise person does. And the verse that I want to point out to you in this regard, which we'll just put below here, is from Proverbs 9, 8. It says, do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. See, when you come to the fool and you try to correct them, they hate you. And defense, defense, justification, inner lawyer, inner lawyer, inner lawyer. But reprove a wise man and he will love you. Because the the wise understand they need wisdom and the wise will listen and receive and say, if I have seven men coming up to me and exhorting me in certain things, I'm going to take that pretty seriously. If I have multiple counselors, because they understand that they need help in this regard. But the slugger's like, ah, I'm the wisest. You be quiet. And again, I'm not trying to pick on young people. But, like, know-it-all teenagers, I was one. Like, like, know-it-alls drive me nuts. Because they just can't be, like, they just can't be taught. 
Or like the kid that walks out of university, man, he is God's gift to everything. And he walks in, just watch this. And just like, yeah, I'll watch, all right. You're on your own, dude. Like, you're going to get struck by lightning or something like that, right? Because they walk around and just like, I have the answer to everything. To everything. Everyone bow down before me because I'm going to instruct you in the ways of all wisdom. So you and Jesus, eh? Is that how it goes? It's pretty scary. But that's what the slugger does. And laziness is a form of like, don't counsel me, man, because I got it all figured out. And the only you got figured out is a path to self-destruction. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. We all got to be careful. We all got to be careful. So here's, here's wisdom right now. Wisdom in this time says, will I allow myself to be counseled? Will I admit I have sin that needs to be brought to the foot of the cross today in areas of laziness and apathy and complacency and slothfulness and being a sluggard? Do, will I allow myself to believe in the wisdom of the Lord and let that turn into fruitful part of my life. Now, I want to end this message here again. It's so important. This part is so important. Laziness, loved ones, fundamentally, as we began, is an issue of the heart. Laziness is sin. Physical laziness often goes hand in hand with spiritual laziness. The thing I'm most concerned about is spiritual laziness. But one usually affects the other. Spiritual laziness cripples us, it ruins us. It ruins us. We can't, we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. So we come to the Lord's Supper today, and this is an opportunity. Think of the Lord's Supper this way. This is where it gets so beautiful. As we approach the Lord's Supper, we're learning the value of hard work, but think of the work of Jesus Christ today for you. The work of Jesus Christ. As you hold the symbols of his body and blood, think about his work. His work included being mocked, being spit upon, being beaten, being scourged, being tortured through crucifixion. The work of Jesus Christ, more than that, included bearing the cup of wrath. He became our propitiation. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. The work of Jesus Christ included him becoming our sacrifice for our sin, bearing the awesome weight of sin. Loved ones, the work of Jesus Christ is what saved us. Aren't you so glad he wasn't lazy? I mean, aren't you so glad that he did all these things, his work for our benefit. So consider our response now to the work of Christ. And here's where I want to make sure you hear this. This is so vitally important because we go through the message and Proverbs is admonishing and exhorting and there's a lot of commands in here. So the danger is I take legalism away with me. Again, I gotta try harder. I gotta do this. And there's elements of, yeah, you gotta wake up. Like you gotta wake up. Like waking up, you gotta wake up. Like that's just a decision. Wake up, wake up. So that's true, but rooted in your motivation in the right way. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says this, and think of how this ties everything together. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. So the work of Christ, we can't earn our salvation. We can't earn it at all. It's all grace. We receive it as a gift through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God not a result of works that no one may boast, okay? So the Bible makes it very clear. The work of Christ can only be done by the work of Christ. We receive it as a gift. We can't do it. If we could do it, then we could boast in it. We can't do it. Only Christ could do it. But notice this. The work of Christ, when it's received, here at Ephesians 2, follows up with this. Because of the gift of Jesus Christ and his work for us, it says this now. For we are his workmanship, we are his workmanship, listen, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see that? So this is why the gospel is everything to end this message as we approach the Lord's Supper. When you see the gospel and when you value the work of Christ that he did for you, what happens is you, when you see it rightly, you are overwhelmed with thankfulness, gratitude, and love. And what does love want to do the most towards a person or an individual? Love wants to serve. Love wants to work to say thank you for the benefit and the blessing of eternal life. Ephesians 2 tells us today, as we hold the symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ given for us, that's his work, his work for us. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We understand I have one chance at this life. He's coming back anytime. We take the Lord's Supper to remind us he's coming back. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're remembering what he did and what he's going to do. He's going to come back. You hold these symbols and you say, this represents the work of Christ for me. Now what will I do in response for him? Not that he loves me more, 
Not that I earn his favor, but to show him how thankful I am that I am his workmanship and I have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? So don't leave today with condemnation. Lead today with conviction rooted in the gospel. The gospel informs us because, I'm saying it again, I want you, you have to get this. Because of his work, that motivates me now to work hard for him because I love him so much. I've been created for good works in Jesus Christ as a response to the life I've been granted through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? We're not earning our salvation. We're responding to it. That's our motivation to work hard. That's the motivation to get up in the morning. That's the motivation to open the Bible. That's the motivation to pray. That's the motivation to serve at church. That's, that's the motivation to honor the Lord at work. That's the motivation to pursue the best marriage you could possibly do. That's the motivation to be a man or woman who honors the Lord and loves them with their lives by working hard because they've been saved by grace through faith. They have one chance. Let's do all we can for the glory of God. Whatever we do and work hard, deed, do it all, Colossians 3, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the communion service to come forward right now. And we're going to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. I've said it all. Servers, you can begin as we do this. Let me remind you, communion is for believers. You're holding the symbols of the work of Christ. If you've not received the gift of faith through Jesus Christ or the gift of grace through faith in, in Jesus Christ, please don't take this because it's the Bible warns us about when we do that. But to consider today, life is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And so the Lord's Supper becomes a wonderful opportunity for reverence, for joy, for power, and for love. And so just as they begin to be served, let me just pray for us uh, right now. Father, thank you for this opportunity to see the work of Christ and then motivating us, Lord, for the work to you that we are now to respond to in love and grace and blessing and faith and joy. I pray, Lord, laziness. We would hate it. I do. I pray we would hate laziness. And I pray we'd be spurred on to love and good deeds because of what you've done for us, Lord. So we pray against slothfulness. We pray against idleness, Lord. We pray against the, the things that are holding us back so much and understanding. Make the best use of the time for the days are evil. So may we walk as wise, not as unwise, not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What a joy, what a joy. Bless these people. You love them so much, God. Bless this church. Make us so productive for Jesus Christ. Amen.